0: you to go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be in the first 10 verses of this particular chapter of Luke's gospel account. Uh, As you're turning there, I'll go ahead and acknowledge what probably doesn't need to be acknowledged, which is that this morning brings us to one of the most famous stories in all of the book of Luke and really all of the gospel accounts. It's a story beloved by and popular among church and VBS-going children. Uh, even many of us who grew up in and out of the church, we're familiar with those can not get them out of your head lyrics. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed within a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I don't know the melody. They, they tried in, in the back sound booth to, to get it in my head enough that I would sing it this morning up here. Um, and uh, I'm still not confident that I have the melody enough to, to do that. But I know the words, even as a kid who grew up just as much out of the church as, as I was in the church. It's a story that, that many of us are familiar with. It's a story that presents us with something of a humorous imagery as you have a man, small in stature, nesting like a bird among the branches of a tree. For some reason, I can't help but picture Jason Alexander playing the part, George from Seinfeld. I don't know who runs through your mind, Patton Oswalt, Danny DeVito. I mean, the list, it just goes on and on. And yet, uh, though there is perhaps something playful in regard to the imagery, there's something undeniably weighty about this story in terms of where we find its inclusion in Luke's gospel account. For one, it follows closely behind the story of the rich young ruler. And with that, Jesus is teaching on the difficulty for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God, so that what we're about to read is an example of God making the impossible possible in bringing salvation to Zacchaeus' home. Second, it comes right after the story of the blind beggar, giving us examples of Jesus saving both the destitute impoverished and the corrupt wealthy, both men wanting to see Jesus, both men in need of something that money can't buy. Third, it's the last personal encounter Jesus has before entering the city of Jerusalem where the events of his impending death and resurrection would soon take place. It's with all these things in mind that Luke tells us. If you pick up the story in verse 1, and let me pray for us before we do that. Heavenly Father, for many of us, we come in and we know this story well, we're familiar with the events that are about to take place, and, and yet the familiarity could, could be dangerous to us because, uh, Lord, this is one of the clearest indications, this story is that you, Jesus, didn't come solely to purchase our forgiveness, but also to purchase our spirit-empowered, sin-killing obedience, that we would trust you as both Savior and King, Savior and Lord, that a true encounter with you would, would be one in which the outworkings would be penitent belief. And so I pray, Lord, that you would move and work in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, that we wouldn't walk out and go, yeah, got it. The story of Zacchaeus. I know, I know all the transpiring events there. Check. I can, I can recite the story to everyone around me. I can sing the song with its melody and all of its lyrics. No, Lord, I pray that more than that, that you would change us from the inside out. And that, that we would Like Zacchaeus, walk away from even this morning's encounter with you, the living Christ. And that we would see transformation as a result of that encounter with you. Spirit of God, would you move? We're desperate for you to move. Otherwise, this is just a a rote exercise in futility. So I plead with you to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. Of chapter 19, he, Jesus, entered Jer- uh, Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. As we talked about on a few different occasions uh, through this journey in the book of Luke, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were, were swindlers by reputation subcontracted by the Romans for the collection of of revenue so that anyone who wanted to be a tax collector would put in a bid for an area and the Romans would award the contract to the highest bidder. The tax collector would then collect from the people not only uh, the amount of the bid but additional revenue in order to establish a profit for himself. And yet sadly many tax collectors would collect far more than, than what was necessary to make a decent living leaving many individuals, many families in burdensome financial situations. To add insult to injury, they weren't robbing just anyone but their own people, seen not only as swindlers but betrayers, enacting as a representation of Roman oppression against their Jewish kinsmen, considered by many Jews to be enemies of God, ostracized from the rest of society, left to hang out with their fellow tax-collecting swindling friends. That's what it was to be a tax collector in Jesus's day. And notice that Zacchaeus is not only a tax collector by trade, but a chief tax collector nonetheless, meaning that Zacchaeus had several other tax collectors under his management, under his oversight, which isn't surprising. Jericho is one of three non-coastal tax collecting epicenters, you might say, along with Capernaum and Jerusalem, so that Zacchaeus trained the swindlers on how to swindle with the ultimate aim of putting more money in his own pockets. In the words of one scholar, Zacchaeus was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel and had the scruples of a modern-day crack dealer. He was filthy rich in the fullest sense of the term. And we're told in in verse 3 that he, this filthy rich swindler, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus, he had, he had heard about Jesus somewhere along the way. Luke doesn't tell us where. Perhaps having heard the story of Levi, who too was a tax collector before giving that life up to follow Jesus. Maybe he even knew Levi personally as they, they were in the same business together. Same line of work. Jesus of Nazareth, a thorn in the side of the religious establishment, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And here stands Zacchaeus, a tax collector himself, the worst of the whole lot. Perhaps he'd grown tired of that Ecclesiastes like grasping at smoke, searching for meaning and happiness in money and possessions. Maybe he'd grown tired of being hated by everyone, sinfully rich and yet socially ostracized. Whatever the reason, he, he wasn't gonna miss his opportunity to see this Jesus, this friend of sinners and tax collectors. And so we're told that in seeing Jesus approaching, he, he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore tree. Not, not too incredibly different in shape and size from that big tree out there on the front lawn. Perhaps hoping to remain inconspicuous, relatively hidden among the leaves and branches. Perhaps no concern for his dignity whatsoever. I mean, after all, it's not unusual to see a kid climb a tree. We see it just about every Sunday with that tree I just mentioned. Grown man, however, well, I mean, that's a little less societally accepted. Though perhaps it's right to question whether it should be. Seems like something Lewis or Chesterton would question. Luke goes on to tell us in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus approaches a tree in which Zacchaeus finds himself nesting, and he looks up and he calls the, the swindling tax collector by name. Some believe that perhaps Jesus... Uh, asked who the the man was that was perched up in that tree and was told by someone in the crowd, well, that's Zacchaeus, the chief swindling tax collector. And maybe that's true. Maybe there's nothing more to it than than that. And yet the, the kind of strong language that follows, it suggests that something deeper is perhaps taking place here. It's as if Jesus knew Zacchaeus before ever having met him. Having some sort of awareness, perhaps by the fathers revealing that this is a moment of divine providence. An ordained encounter with the man in the crosshairs of God's sovereign mercy and grace. Declaring not, not, I'd like to stay at your house, Zacchaeus, if I could. But rather, I must stay at your house today. The kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. Socially ostracized, surely too far gone down the path of corruption. Except that Jesus is not only a friend of sinners and tax collectors, he's a friend of chief tax collectors. The too far gones of society. As I thought about this story and where it shifts into verse 6, I couldn't help but, but in a Seuss-like way think, and what happened then? Well, in Jericho they say that that Zacchaeus' small heart, it grew three sizes that day, because that's what you see as you move into verse 6. So he hurried down, down the tree, and received Jesus joyfully. We know this to be a a salvation story, because verse 9 tells us as much. Zacchaeus' posture here, giving strong indication that he had already come to faith, As he runs to Jesus, receives him joyfully like the man in the parable of the treasure hidden in a field who gave up everything he had in his joy to obtain the treasure in that field. Seeing God's salvation like the blind beggar in the face of Jesus Christ. Perhaps there are some here this morning who have been seeking like Zacchaeus to see who Jesus is. Maybe looking on in skepticism and doubt. Maybe counting yourself among the too far gone. To which I would say, sitting up in that tree, so to speak, it surely has its place. But staying up there forever will do a sinner no good. This morning's invitation, it's an invitation to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To hurry to Jesus and receive him joyfully. Zacchaeus, he hurries down from the tree, happily leading the way to his home where Jesus and his friends, according to Jewish custom, would stay the night. And we're told in verse 7 that when they, the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Just as the crowd in the The story of the blind beggar had rebuked the man for crying out to Jesus. So the crowd here in the city of Jericho grumbles and complains at what they see taking place. Jesus, yet again, willfully stepping into the home of of one of society's disreputable. It's hard not to be reminded once again of the story of Jesus in chapter 5 in the presence of a large company of sinners and tax collectors in the home of Levi a former tax collector himself whom Jesus invited into a life of forgiveness and discipleship. In his encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus ups the ante as he steps into the home of a man far worse than Levi, not only a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, the chief of swindlers, the chief of traitors, the chief of sinners. What is he doing? Now, I love verse 8. In that moment, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I Picture this for a second. Zacchaeus hears the crowd shouting of his sinfulness from the rooftops, and what does he do? It compels him to join in their, their song. As he stands and makes a public confession, and not just for Jesus to hear, but for any and all within earshot. You're all right. You're all right about me. I haven't done what I ought in failing to give to the poor, and I've done what I ought not in swindling people for my own selfish gain. Every one of you is right. Zacchaeus publicly acknowledges and confesses his sin, but notice that it's not simply an acknowledgement of wrong without any sort of true life change on the other side of it. No, this confession is genuine in that it's coupled with a sincere commitment to repent. Repentance and faith being two sides of the same coin. John Murray, in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he says, the faith that is unto salvation is a penitent faith and the repentance that is unto life is a believing repentance. That Jesus accepts sinners where they are, but in his kindness, he doesn't leave us there. This passage flies in the face of, of the notion of easy believism. Prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, signed a card, good to go, going to coast to my death now. This prayer flies in the, the face of being skittish about imperatives in the scriptures. As if, if they're antithetical to salvation by grace alone, they're not. The apostle Paul, in every one of his letters, yes, he begins with the gospel, the message of, of the hope that's ours in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And yet there's always that hinge word in Paul's letters, therefore. And here we get the therefore of Zacchaeus's encounter with Jesus. I would ask of all of us, myself included, what are the prevailing sins in your life in his kindness, what changes is God calling you to make as an outworking of an encounter with him and the forgiveness that's been bestowed upon you? Here we see a, a genuine transformation having taken place in Zacchaeus's life so that things necessarily must be different moving forward. That as Jesus had declared to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today, so Zacchaeus declares to Jesus, I must repent of my sin in the wake of an encounter with you. Here we see Zacchaeus pledging to do the very thing that the rich young ruler was unwilling to do. Namely, sell his possessions and distribute to the poor. In Zacchaeus's case, giving far more to the poor than the law required. Giving far more and making restitution than the law required. And notice that he doesn't say, I will give or I will restore. He speaks in the present tense, indicating a commitment to these acts of repentance without delay. It's the imagery of Zacchaeus emptying his pockets right there on the spot. Jesus had said back in chapter 12, verse 15, take care and and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The great Puritan, Thomas Watson, once described coveting as, as an insatiable desire of getting the world. It's no respecter of persons. It's a danger to the haves and the have-nots. Exposed in our hearts in a world where inflation is real and gas ain't cheap. We all face the danger of being possessed By possessions. In the the words of one scholar, the poor are tempted to want all the things they do not have, while the rich are tempted to want even more of what they do have. It's a grasping at smoke, it's elusive and fleeting. A grasping from which Zacchaeus, in meeting Jesus, found real freedom. Freedom not only from that empty chase, but freedom to spend and be spent for the glory of God. And Jesus said to him in verse 9 Salvation today has come to this house since he, Zacchaeus, also is the son of Abraham. Imagine the shock of that statement. Okay, even if born into a Jewish family, people would have seen a tax collector as a lost sheep of Israel, not to be counted among God's chosen people. And yet, Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, nonetheless, is declared by Jesus to be a son of Abraham, a welcomed member of God's family, having encountered God's salvation in the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, now restored to God's true Israel by grace through penitent faith in this Jesus. Coming back to the parables of chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Picture a shepherd, Jesus had said, who carries once wayward sheep on his shoulders, rejoicing all the way home, joining the chorus of the angels. Picture a woman, Jesus had said, who reaches down in the dirt and dust to take hold of her treasured possession, unashamedly rejoicing with those dearest to her, joining in with the song of the angels. Picture a father, Jesus had said, who races to embrace his empty-pocketed beggarly son, and spares no expense in celebrating his homecoming from the outer country, rejoicing over him with gladness, quieting him with his love, exulting with him over him with loud singing, joining in the chorus of the angels. That's what's happening here in chapter 19. Jesus had said back in chapter 15: there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Surely there was joy in heaven the day that Zacchaeus came down from that tree, a repentant sinner, one of the many for whom Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. Jesus says as much in verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. It's another way of saying what Jesus said back in chapter five, where he took the opportunity to leverage the criticism of the religious elite into a mission statement. Declaring, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right? Most of us, we, we would have seen Zacchaeus as a lost cause, a swindler, a traitor, a camel incapable of passing through the eye of a needle, beyond the hope of God's salvation, Again, this story follows closely behind the, the story of the rich young ruler. And with that, Jesus is teaching on the difficulty for wealthy people to enter the kingdom. So the story of Zacchaeus, going back to chapter 18, verse 27, it's a story of God making the impossible possible in bringing salvation to Zacchaeus' home. A thieving tax collector who came face to face with the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ, finding in Jesus what he had sought in vain through the sinful amassing of wealth, wholeness, and happiness, A self-serving obsession to get replaced with a God-glorifying passion to give. In the words of one scholar, he went into his house, Zacchaeus did, the littlest man in Jericho. He left the biggest man in town. And all because of Jesus. It's what Jesus does. It's what we've seen him do for 19 chapters now. in Luke's gospel account. It's what he continues to do as the living Christ even today. He enters people's homes. He changes people's hearts. So that I would ask, has salvation come to your house? Have you hurried down the tree, so to speak, and received Jesus joyfully? Perhaps today is the day of salvation, the day to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him. And for those of us who have received Jesus joyfully, one, we have an opportunity to, to celebrate this morning the, the wonder that we're a part of this family of God. Perhaps you might not, as you look back on your own story, your own life, see yourself in the same place that Zacchaeus was. Perhaps you could, you know, argue your goodness in comparison to him. And say, well, I wasn't a chief tax collector when Christ sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. But my goodness, that, as I've said before, to give some imagery there, that's like comparing yourself to another person and how high you can jump in seeking to touch the moon. Who cares if some of us can get three feet off the ground and others two? We're still millions of miles away from the mark. We all should marvel that we're Christians Going back to earlier in Luke's gospel account, rejoicing that our names are written in heaven, that we pass through the eye of a needle, wonder of wonders. There's a lot to celebrate this morning. But it's a celebration that's meant to include purposeful, intentional repentance. I would ask to use the language of that John Murray quote what, What's the next step of penitent faith for you? What's the next step of believing repentance? I like the way Philip Riken, in his commentary on this morning's passage, says it. He says, We are called to be penitent believers who never stop trusting in the saving power of the crucified Christ. The power and the grace to repent only come through his cross the cross where he died between two thieves for Zacchaeus and all the other thieving sinners who trust in him for their salvation. That Jesus would go on to die on an old rugged tree so that Zacchaeus could come down from his. The same old rugged tree upon which Jesus died for you and for me, bearing our sins in his body 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It so said, I would say to you, Christians, keep trusting in the saving power of the crucified Christ, knowing that it's as we look to the cross that we find the power and grace to repent.